0: Think about how you're listening to this podcast right now. Most of you will be listening to me now, talking to you through headphones of some description, either attached to your phone, or if you're not doing that right now, you probably have at some point. Anyway, the point is, it's a very personal experience. It's very different to listening to music that's broadcast via speakers in a room, say. You know, because right now, if you've got headphones in, it's just you and me. It's like I'm kind of inside your head. And that's a normal thing because that's how we listen to music a lot these days. But before the invention of the Sony Walkman, long before the invention of the iPhone, for example, that experience, that sound in your head experience, the personal audio escape just didn't exist. The Walkman in many ways was our first invention to socially isolate ourselves and develop a personal intimate relationship with sound via that technology. Your relationship with your Walkman Could become so personal that running up that hill by Kate Bush might just save your life. Sorry, that's a niche reference to (laughs) all the Stranger Things fans out there. Actually, for me, it was listening to Cliff Richard, Wired for Sound. There you go. Worth listening to that song, by the way, and looking at the lyrics. That is my guilty pleasure, Wired for Sound by Cliff Richard. It's brilliant. Anyway, hello. Welcome once again to Patented, a podcast about the history of inventions brought to you from the very wonderful people at History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell. It's a pleasure to have your company. Delighted to welcome back Matt Alt who's the author of Pure Invention to the series. We've been doing this mini series on Japanese inventions today based on Matt's book. And really his thesis tells us about the inventions in, from Japan which changed our personal and intimate relationships with technology generally. It's a fantastic book. In fact it was so good Originally, we were talking about karaoke, so you can go back and listen to the original karaoke episode. But it was so good, we wanted to bring in other examples of Japanese technology. And the Sony Walkman one is absolutely terrific. Delighted to have him back. We're going to be doing another one, by the way, about Hello Kitty. There you go, for younger listeners. I think I missed the Hello Kitty thing. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that too. Anyway, pop your headphones on, turn it up to, well, I was going to say 11, but, you know, protect your hearing. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Matt, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. You were so good last time, and your book was too interesting to (laughs) only do one chapter. So basically, we're like, oh, crikey, this is a goldmine of episodes. We can just do everything. So we decided to do a Japan invention special. So I hope you're not too busy for the next few weeks. Well, you won't be
1: able to stop me talking on this topic. So
0: uh... Okay, I'm I'm freaking out now because (laughs) my brain is fizzing with things I need to tell you about, and I have no order in which to put them in. Okay, start I just woke up thinking about this just a few minutes ago. Sid Brack. Do you know who Sid Brack is? No, who's Sid Brack? No one knows who Sid Brack is. Okay, in the 1980s, there was this guy called Sid Brack. And he was an artist. And he used to do this like airbrush art for posters, like Athena posters. And there'd be like beautiful women airbrush with like punk haircuts doing things. Like he famously did one which was called Long Distance Kiss which is this kind of airbrushed, heavily made up punky woman on a phone that was sort of dripping red. Athena did the famous tennis player scratching her ass <laughs> poster, which was like a classic okay. of, the, of the genre. I will take your word for it. Anyway, Sid Brack, he did one called Wired for Sound. And it's two women, and I, I have an original copy of it, which is one I'm like, I can't believe I didn't even think of this. Two women in sort of sideways view. What's that called? Not portrait. Uh, yeah. Profile. Profile, thank you. And they're wearing their Sony headphones, the classic Sony head with the orange thing. Right. And they're sort of lost in their world of music and they've got their crazy hair and it's just wide for sound. Everyone had that poster on the wall. Not everyone. I certainly had it. I had like a whole bunch of them. I had one, uh, it was a Coke can opening. The Coke can would open and all the Coke would like spray out and, uh, and somebody was windsurfing on them. You know, that kind of stuff.
1: I think it's just a testament to how deeply the Walkman wove itself into the fabric of society, that you saw it being portrayed even in pop art like that.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of forgotten how iconic the Walkman was. I mean, there is a line like pre-Walkman and after Walkman that totally changed, I think. It
1: was like a switch getting flipped.
0: Yeah, but not just how we listened to music, obviously, but also how we did music, mixtapes, everything else. Just the Walkman was central to that whole... Thing. Absolutely. Well,
1: you know, until the Walkman came along, music was primarily a shared experience. You know, you'd gather around this like kind of furniture sized radio and listen, you know, even in the uh, 60s when transistor radios, also popularized by Sony and other Japanese companies really started to percolate into the lives of people around the world. People around you had to listen to it. Car radios. You know, everybody inside the car had to suffer whatever your choice (laughs) was on the radio. That's the way it should be. And of course, there's the boombox, which hit in the mid to late 70s and was carried around by everybody who just needed to listen outdoors or who wanted to make sure that everybody around them heard what they were listening to, as often happened in American cities.
0: Although it started to happen again in London really weirdly people on bikes just had their music blaring out. It's really strange though. I think
1: for a generation, several generations of young people who never knew a time in their lives when there wasn't portable personalized audio listening, the idea of
0: blaring your tunes out into the world is it probably seems kind of fresh and new. It's really interesting. But actually the first Walkman, the very very first Walkman, I had the Walkman 2, which is the one after, right. it was slightly smaller, it was silver, it had the buckle yes. on the front. I mean, I was obsessed by it. I mean, I lived in my own head listening to music. Exactly as you say, it was it was a total game changer. But the original Walkman had a little orange button on it. Yes. Which kind of let you cut out the music so you could talk to each other. And I suppose because it was so new, they put that on out of panic. It's like, oh my God, if people get lost in the music, how are they going to speak to each other? We need some form Well, of- you're
1: absolutely right. The very first Walkman, the TPSL2, which came out in Japan in 1979... And in America in 1980, and I believe it was 81 for the UK, might've been the same year though. That first iteration of the Walkman was something that Sony was very, very ambivalent about. It's famous now because it's the Walkman that's used by the hero in Guardians of the Galaxy, the Marvel movies. He's actually Ah, wearing a TPS-L2 Walkman, which I always thought was really cool. They actually gave him the right one. But when the Walkman was initially being tested, Sony's chairman at the time, Akio Morita, who is also kind of Sony's spokesman, got into a fight with his wife because he was walking around his house wearing the prototype and he couldn't hear what she was saying. And he <laughs> he got this is something that everybody who has ever yeah. won a Walkman then or since knows about. But he was so worried about this that he ordered the Sony engineers to put a second headphone jack in and a button that would let you mute the music and speak to the other person through a microphone that was actually built into the body of the thing. So it was a very sort of hybrid device that's different from the ones that we're using today. The irony, of course, is that you know, Akio Morita was right to fear this isolating potential of the Walkman. But what he was wrong about was, that was the whole point. That's what we yeah. wanted. <laughs> That's what We don't want to talk to our partners or our wives or our children. <laughs> exactly. It's like, a, it's like a, you know, the, the Walkman started to become this do not disturb sign. If you yeah. saw somebody
0: wearing a Walkman, you knew they didn't want to talk. Well, it's funny to think that, isn't it? That, I mean, everything that happens now, we all walk around with headphones everywhere you go. And there would not be... I guess, like podcasts wouldn't exist. I mean, we listen to podcasts. We listen to music. We listen to Spotify. Like young people, like myself, young people, they don't have like hi fives. Like young people don't have hi fives. They just listen to stuff on their headphones.
1: I think you can actually make the argument that the Walkman's real contribution to society, as it were, wasn't the device itself. It was the mainstreaming of headphones. Because until that moment... Headphones did not have a really good image in the world. They were associated with people who were hard of hearing, elderly people, for instance, who would put one of those little plug things in their ears with those old fashioned hearing aids or with technicians of some kind, sonar operators, people who sat behind, you know, radar screens. This was not anything that anybody really aspired to. But the Walkman flipped that script almost instantly. And another big thing that the Walkman did that no other radio or piece of equipment had ever done to that point was to make technology fashionable. So when the Walkman took off, suddenly being seen with the Walkman headphones was a form
0: of social status. It really kind of changed the conversation. Yeah, those headphones that Sidney Walkman has were really specific, because as you say, I remember my stepdad had a pair of headphones that you would plug into the hi-fi if you wanted to listen on your own, which no one ever used. I've got a pair of, you know, standard Bose headphones on, and they were bigger than that, and there was nothing fashionable. And they were heavy. They were heavy. I mean, now they'd be like super hipster, like hipsters would wear them. Yeah, well, the that's
1: the irony is that you know, we'll get to this, but now, of course, giant bulbous headphones are in because DJs wear them and kids aspire to be DJs. But at the time, that Sony coming up with what they called featherweight headphones was really key to the whole enterprise.
0: Yeah. Well, just to describe them to our younger listeners, Walkman headphones, it was a thin piece of flat wire almost very thin band metal yes metal and then you'd have the little foam orange that mine were orange that would sit over the ear and they were probably not very good but
1: no and you know they didn't have much isolation you know they didn't cup your ears and this was another thing so when the Walkman was first being developed inside Sony one of the big reasons the company was so ambivalent about it is that they were devoted to high fidelity audio reproduction and the Walkman in its initial incarnation Not only was it a tape deck that couldn't record, they had to ditch the recording function to get the miniaturization down. That was unheard of. But also the audio quality wasn't that good, but it was good enough because by putting those headphones over your head, you immersed yourself in the sound in a way that you never could just by sitting in front of even the greatest speakers. So there's a moment where the head of marketing of Sony, he wrote an autobiography, and he says the first time he was asked to try out the Walkman in a, in a Sony laboratory, he walks up to this thing. He doesn't know what to expect. He puts the headphones on and suddenly Beethoven's fifth is hammering between his ears. And it was an experience. He was one of the first human beings to really experience that. You know, soon we all would but it's a kind
0: of audio virtual reality. You're right. I remember the very first time, maybe I'm misremembering, but I certainly remember listening to when the Sony woman arrived in our house for the first time and everyone was very excited because it was this thing. And I remember putting it on and listening to Daryl Hall and John Oates rock and soul part two was <laughs> something like that. I can't remember. maybe it was that I can't remember what it was. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to remember what I first listened to. It must've
0: been like thriller or something like that. Well, or- it may have been Huey Lewis and the New Sports, which I go. had because it was... I mean, it must have been before Back to the Future. I'll mention it now. You mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. Back to the Future. I mean, we mentioned it last time we spoke, the JVC video camera. It was the first time I'd ever seen a camcorder where you could actually record video. You know, when they go back to 1955, he looks at this thing and it goes, oh my God, a portable TV studio. This is amazing. But the other thing was the Walkman. And he's wearing his yellow hazmat suit. And he's in the bedroom of his dad, George McFly. And he's trying to convince him to go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And as George is asleep, he puts the little light headphones on, puts in his Eddie Van Halen tape and presses go. And he wakes up and thinks, oh, my God, because the music's in his head. It's not like outside. And that thing that we've been talking about, we actually see in the film. And it's a profound moment.
1: Well, the science fiction writer William Gibson famously said that he thought the Walkman had done more to change human perception than any virtual reality gadget. And by that, I think he meant the way that it kind of imposed this inescapable soundtrack over your life. You know, if the karaoke machine made you feel like a rock star for the duration of a song, the Walkman made you feel like you were starring in your own movie. Suddenly you had the soundtrack to your life, the most boring moments of your life. You're taking out the garbage and dun, 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 dun.
0: put Huey Lewis on the news, sport. Put that album on and just walk around for a day. It'll change right. your life. Honestly, <laughs> you don't need therapy. Honestly,
1: all you need is the power of love by Hulu. Life honestly is different when you have that soundtrack on top of it. It really is. And one of the reasons that the Walkman was so profoundly transformative is because people used it to mediate deliberately their interactions with their environment, particularly in cities. Because think about it, big city, cacophony, car honking, some guy yanking at your sleeve, begging for change, screaming, there's a fight, oh, there's a car squealing. It's not an exactly relaxing sort of environment to be in. You put on your headphones, you pop in some opera or something, and suddenly you're transported to Vienna circa, you know, 1885. The depressing thing is now, because I'm old, all I do is listen to Radio 4. (laughs) Well, listening to the radio already marks you as somebody from a different (laughs) generation kids these days. They're all listening to like Spotify. And the Walkman definitely presaged the way that we would be listening to music. And it also had a profound effect on somebody who we all know very well, Steve Jobs. Yes. Steve Jobs was one of the first people to get a Walkman directly from Sony's chairman.
0: Okay. That's interesting.
1: And he famously didn't even bother listening to the thing. When he got it home, he took it apart. He started disassembling it to figure out how Sony had managed to pull this off. How did they make this happen? And... Steve Jobs didn't aspire to be Microsoft or IBM. He aspired to be Sony. And I think the Walkman sort of crystallized everything that he wanted to achieve, this kind of skin-close intimacy with your technology. It wasn't a box sitting on your desktop. It wasn't some machine churning away in a closet. It was this device, this object that you had with you and you turned to for help and assistance in making it through your day. I'm James Patton Rogers, a war historian, advisor to the UN and NATO, and host of the warfare podcast from History Hit. Join me twice a week, every week, as we look at the conflicts that have defined our past and the ones shaping our future. We talk to
0: award-winning journalists. ISIS, this peculiar strain that we all came to know very well in the mid 2010s, really got its start because of the US invasion of Iraq we hear from the people who were actually there. The Sudanese
1: have been incredible. They have managed to get supplies to people, to individuals who are suffering. And we learn from the remarkable historians shining a light on forgotten histories. For the most part, the millions of people who were taken to those camps were immediately murdered. Auschwitz combined the functions of death camp and concentration camp and slave labour. Join us on the Warfare Podcast from history Hits twice a week, every week, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. There's a design ethic with Sony that you can see in a way that has transported through to Apple a bit later on. Oh, I mean, yeah. there is just something very beautiful. I mean, it's partly due to the miniaturization of things. Everything that Sony seemed to do in the late 70s was was, was smaller and smaller. But the form of the Walkman, I, I think the first Walkman is actually quite ugly. But the second Walkman, which was really, really small, it was the size of a cassette box. Right, right. Is just something really special. We've got to talk about the invention. I, I could just talk about the... The cultural effects, but
1: yeah. Sony made so many variations of that thing. So many variations. You know, there's only a couple of iPods out there, but there's dozens of Walkmans. Like every year it felt like, and that's just counting the Sony ones. There were clones too by other companies. In
0: fact, in Back to the Future, it was in Iowa. Is that how you pronounce it? Rival.
1: Iowa, yes. Iowa, yes.
0: Well, it's interesting actually, because, you know, Sony were obviously the leaders then, but you had a JVC. Mm -hmm. And actually in that film, you see lots and lots of, you know, all that sort of Japanese, technology sort of creeping into that movie but it was things like it was JVC in Iowa so I'm, maybe they had like a no sony clause or something I like don't Because presumably if you're the props buyer,
1: you're like, we want Sony. The Walkman is interesting because it's a combination of things that already existed. Like Sony didn't invent the tape deck. That's actually Philips from uh, the Netherlands. They didn't invent headphones. I believe maybe a German company did that. They didn't invent any of these parts. They just combined them in a new way. And because of that, and also because they were involved in a lawsuit against an individual who claimed he had invented a Walkman-like device first – I don't think they were able to patent it. And so right. other companies were allowed to make their own versions of it. But that ironically allowed that culture to spread far beyond what any one company would have been able to do. I still think the Sony ones are the best.
0: They look the best. They felt the best. Yeah. And also, if you wanted one of those, you wanted a Sony, like if you had a cheap crappy one it's like it's you know you want the sense like, like having the apple you want the apple thing you no know? You, you if it's a watch you want the rolex sony is the rolex of this
1: space and when i was growing up in suburban maryland the one everybody wanted was the sports walkman it was in this yellow, yellow plastic one. it yeah. was waterproof i don't think any of us actually ever used our sports walkman in the commission of any sports but they look cool and that was the whole point to be seen carrying it the walkman was the first gadget like that that you wanted to be seen
0: with it yeah Let's talk about the origin. So we talked about the Walkman One. What was before Walkman One? Because there were portable tape players that had speakers and they you could record on them and that kind of stuff. They were so the direct ancestor of the
1: Walkman is a device called drum roll please the Pressman, and the Pressman was a portable tape recorder with a microphone on it that journalists would use or doctors or lawyers or whoever had to take voice memos. Now you know this feature is built into all of our smartphones now. So we don't think about it very much. But the Pressman recorders were actually quite popular at the time for people who needed to record voices for whatever reason. In a compact package, you didn't have to attach a different microphone. Anyway, somebody inside Sony, one of the engineers playing around, installed a stereo circuit and plugged in a pair of headphones to it. And this thing was floating around the Sony lab, so to speak. At this point, it was just a press man with a giant pair of those grapefruit-sized earcup headphones on the outside of it. But when the Sony chair people got wind of it, both Akio Morita and Sony's actual founder, Masaru Ibuka, they were like, wow, this is interesting. I don't know if this is going to sell, but it's really cool to be able to listen to your music on the go. And they told the engineers, develop this, and that's where the Walkman came from. But they didn't think that it would be used in the way that it eventually did get used by everybody. They believed that it would mainly be used by students who would use it while they were studying late at night, so not as to upset their parents. They believed it was just going to be kind of a gimmicky gadget. Maybe they'd sell a couple thousand of them. And actually, the initial manufacturing run was only 30,000 units, That's how little Sony believed that this product would actually sell. They thought it was just going to be like a little fad and it would be gone. As we now know, that wasn't the case. (laughs) But it's kind of a testament that, you know, when something is so earth shattering, groundbreaking and transformative, it's difficult even for masters of the art. I mean, Sony, this is Sony. They're like the the wizards of technology. Even they couldn't imagine how this device would change the world.
0: Let's just, in parenthesis, quickly, because we don't have that much time, but I just give us the thumbnail sketch of Sony the company. Like, where did the name Sony come from? Who were the Sony people? Why were the Sony people?
1: Well, Sony was founded by Masaru Ibuka almost immediately after war's end, and and he was joined by Akio Morita, whose family helped capitalize the company. And they started out scavenging parts from black markets and making radios and things you could use around the house. But... The pair of Morita and Ibuka were obsessed with making tape recorders. They had heard one being used by the American military, and the American military allowed them to examine it. And they basically reverse engineered their own one from scratch, which started this whole lineage of Sony tape recorders and audio reproduction devices. Sony made the first truly popular transistor radio. They were renowned for making miniaturized televisions and things like that. So they had this reputation already by the time The Walkman had come out that if you want some kind of miniaturized audio equipment, you go to Sony.
0: Why were they so obsessed by small? Like, what was it about small that they realized actually small's going to be the thing that people want?
1: Well, miniaturization is something I think that really uh, fits in well with the Japanese lifestyle or Japanese homes, especially in big cities, were kind of small. They didn't have room for big radios and stuff like that or giant sized TVs like American houses did. And, you know, there is a kind of fascination, I think, with making things small and adorable in Japan. You know, Japan's the home of Hello Kitty, but it's also in tradition. You know, haiku, they're kind of like miniaturized poems, aren't they? You know, so there's this sort of tendency in both Japanese tradition and modern culture to kind of shrink things down. And
0: Sony was able to apply this paradigm to technology. And you make this point in your book. We mentioned it last time we spoke as well, but there is this change of, how, particularly in America, and I suppose in Britain and Europe as well, Japanese technology changes from being something a bit shoddy, cheap, to suddenly becoming desirable. And Sony is really... Their design and their miniaturization is at the heart of that, isn't
1: it? Well, you're absolutely right. Made in Japan was kind of a joke for the years after World War II, which is precisely why Sony, it wasn't actually called Sony in its early years. It was called Totsu, a Japanese contraction of like Tokyo telecommunications company. And they quickly realized that nobody would want to buy electronics that were, sounded like they were made in Japan. And so Ibuka and Morita sat down and brainstormed a new brand name. And they took it from the word sunny boy, which is what American soldiers would call people back then, like, you know, hey, sunny boy, come over here. And sunny, like sunniness. And also it sounds like sonus, the Latin word for sound. So you get sony, which doesn't sound Japanese at all and is exactly the point. It sounds kind of, you know, international and very difficult to pin down. And it's easy to remember.
0: Yeah, it's easy to remember. And now we don't associate it with anything other than now just Sony. It's kind like of one of those sort of random words, which is just part of the culture now.
1: Yeah, it's almost like an idiom. But several months ago, I had the pleasure of having lunch with the gentleman who designed the Sony logo. And okay. Yes, He's over 80 years old now, but still in in very good health. And he said it took him five years to come up with those iconic S-O-N-Y letters because they were going back and forth with the higher ups so many times.
0: It's really interesting that thinking about logos like that, because every company now just uses Helvetica as their typeface of choice. And it's really interesting how Helvetica has just taken over the world in terms of logo design, but not Sony. Yeah, I, Sony is not Helvetica, though. No, I think that's a 100%
1: no. custom design, you know? Yeah,
0: that's interesting. I want yeah. to talk about, the, as well as the logo of Sony, the logo of Walkman and, and the name Walkman. You mentioned this device called the Pressman. I think, I may be wrong, but I think they used the Pressman in the Apollo missions.
1: They used it earlier. I don't think it was called the Pressman, but it was definitely the predecessor of the Pressman. Yeah. And they had miniaturized it down a little bit further. But the Walkman wasn't actually originally called the Walkman. It was called the Soundabout. That's nice. That's nice. I like that. (laughs) And the Stowaway, I think, in another, in various, (laughs) every region had its own name initially. And it was only called the Walkman in Japan. And Morita in particular was like, that's just a word Japanese people made up. It's never going to fly abroad. But then he was wrong about this too. So he was a genius in so many ways, but it's interesting to see the kind of missteps that were done with the Walkman at first.
0: Tell me about some of the
1: missteps. Well, for instance, thinking that it would only be used by kids, thinking that the name Walkman wouldn't work thinking that you needed to put a second audio jack in there, that you needed to be able to stop the music and talk to the other person so you wouldn't get too agitated when you're listening to songs. All of these ways that Morita thought would make it easier to consume the Walkman turned out to be wrong. But he was very canny when he saw that, for instance, the name Walkman was getting traction abroad. He said, you know what? Stop. I'm making a decision. It's the walkman everywhere. And I actually think that name is another key to why we love it so much. It's, it sounds anthropomorphic. It sounds like a little buddy that's with you, you know?
0: Yeah, it does. It's got that kind of, I don't know, like Hello Kitty. I suppose the Walkman, It's totally. I can walk with it. I can put it in my pocket. Well,
1: here's a really funny anecdote. So when Steve Jobs was making the iMac, I'm sure you remember this. They came out in the 90s. They had those kind of colorful crystalline and he was trying to appeal to average users, not computer nerds. And he desperately, this is in the Walter Isaacson biography of him. He desperately wanted to call it the Mac man. And the lawyers are like, you were out of your mind. Sony's going to sue us into oblivion. It sounds too much like the Walkman. He's like, yeah, it sounds like the Walkman. That's the whole point. The Mac-Man. And of course, Pac-Man. The other, of course, the other- <laughs> Pac-Man. What is it with Japan and mans? You know, America know. invented Superman, but Japan is Pac-Man and Walkman. You're right. Pac-Man wasn't saying. I don't know who did Pac-Man, but- Pac-Man is a different company, a video game company. That's- But Sony uh, uh, did do video games as well. But anyway-
0: I think they did video games.
1: Yes, later on. Yes, they invented the PlayStation, of course, which is probably among young people, much more what they're known for today than for
0: portable listening. In the early 80s, I had, it was a knockoff Pac-Man. Oh, yeah, there were
1: so many of them.
0: But I loved it. It was, I can't remember the name of the company, was it Namco, maybe, or one of these companies? It was a kind of yellow molded plastic thing, and it was called Munchman. Because I think it was under license. They couldn't use Pac-Man. So they had to give it another name and it was Munchman. And I, anyway, I loved it. There
1: were so many Pac-Man clones, so many of them. And
0: I, did in England, did you have Ms. Pac-Man? That was a, yeah, that's an American
1: so. creation. Actually, okay. it's not Japanese. Ah, interesting.
0: So you got this great thing. You got a name. When did they realize the world has changed? Because you said, oh, they were just sort of mucking about with it in the labs, and then-
1: I think Sony figured it out pretty quickly. Morita was a very, very international kind of person, and he was giving them out as gifts to famous people and to you know musicians and stars who would either come through Japan or when he's in America. And pretty soon, you would start to notice people wearing the headphones on the street in New York City, just average people but not just average people. People like, for instance, the pop artist Andy Warhol, he quickly realized what a fashion symbol the Walkman was and started wearing his headphones not even connected to the Walkman body. He would just walk around with the headphones on because he thought it looked cool. And so you couldn't fail to notice that the Walkman was taking off in urban centers like New York City and like Tokyo. It was absolutely huge among kids in Tokyo. That was one thing Morita was right about it did take off among teenagers much faster in Japan than it did in the West, because it was expensive abroad. Hence Sid Brack's
0: airbrush painting of people in those headsets. Bringing us full circle. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny, I, it changed the world, and we see the legacy now. Obviously, you talked about Steve Jobs' obsession with it, and obviously we had the iPod and then the iPhone, and now we don't think about it. Did it change the world for the better, do you think? I mean, are you making your book you know, comparisons with kind of dystopian blade runner and i'm interested in exploring that and kind of what your thoughts are and how the world has changed and we've become more isolated
1: i personally can't imagine a world where i can't listen to audio by myself you know i enjoy the fact that i can listen to music without bothering people around me or that i can use it to kind of mediate boring experiences like long train rides or things like that. I think that's a positive. However, there's also a negative to it in the sense that when you're plugged into this device, you can't really interact with the world around you. A Japanese researcher, Shuichi Hosokawa, called that the Walkman effect. Like all, I think, truly profoundly transformative technologies, it changed things for the better and for the worse. You know, it's not just purely a positive, but that sort of admixture of disadvantages and advantages are, are what make it a technological form of art i think
0: it's interesting i mean i think i'm pretty sure in blade runner in that opening sequence there's the big sony logo there is something coca-cola for sure coca-cola all those ideas sort of projected into this dystopian future of horror and and a very Japanized future, right? Yeah, you know, in, in 1982, we
1: all believed that the future would be run by the Japanese. It didn't quite play out that way, but we're all still plugged in and listening to the descendants of the devices that Japan first introduced into all of our lives.
0: Yeah. I wonder how much it changed the way music is produced as well. If, like, if you're a band or if you're a music producer or something... And suddenly this new way of listening to music, the whole new experience of listening to music. and Presumably the kind of music will have changed and people would have had that in their minds as they wrote music and created music. I do think it did change the way
1: music was made, but not as much as the boombox. The boombox was hugely, had just a massive impact on hip hop culture, remix culture, and things like that. The Sony is much more oriented around consumption, quiet consumption, and conspicuous consumption. But that being said, I think the versions of the Walkman that eventually came out that had recording functions were quite useful to musicians to allow them to quickly record almost musical notes and play them back to themselves
0: in ways they couldn't before. So interesting. Right, we're going to leave it there. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Come back on because we've got so much more we want to talk about. (laughs) So many gadgets from Japan. We're going to do Hello Kitty, I think, at some point. We're going to talk about that. I'm fascinated. I love Japan. I love Japan, and I love the 1980s. It's why I wrote my book, Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World, available at a bookstore near you. It's a great book. I'm now going to go back and listen to my guilty, my guilty pleasure. You know who Cliff Richard is, don't you? I do
1: not know who Cliff Richard is. I, you're, you don't you're, know who Cliff
0: Richard is? Tell me. Okay, so Cliff Richard. How do I even describe Cliff? <laughs> Cliff Richard has had more number one hits than kind of anyone on Earth, but he's not known particularly outside of, Britain. He was kind of at the 1950s, I think, or maybe the 1960s. He was kind of the British Elvis. Uh, but anyway, he had this incredible career, slightly controversial career, but he's always sort of in like kind of Madonna. He's always changing. Anyway, he's still going, I think. And anyway, blah, wow. blah, blah. But 1982, he produced a song called Wired for Sound. And oh. it was the first time anyone really in the UK had seen a, a Walkman. Go listen to it, because I think it's a great song. It's my favorite Cliff Richard song. I've always loved it. He's roller skating around a car park in like Milton (laughs) Keynes or somewhere (laughs) terrible. So perfect. With his headphones on, and he's got his Walkman clipped to his belt. And there's women, you know, beautiful dancers in kind of colored leotards, also on roller skates. And the lyrics are, walking about with a head full of music, cassette in my pocket, and I'm going to use it. Stereo. Out on the streets, you know. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> Go listen to it. I love it. It's my guilty pleasure. I'm going to listen to it on my Walkman as soon do as it. we get off. Do it. Do it, Matt. I'll see you soon. See you next time. So there we go. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our little Wired for Sound tour de force today. If you have, don't forget to tell your friends and family and share the link to the podcast on all your socials uh, or whatever it is you have to do. And don't forget as well, if you've got a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to cover, no matter how niche We've had some niche suggestions. Crikey. You can email us at patented@historyhit.com at I love hearing from you, and I look forward very much to your company again soon. See you next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive